0: Welcome to the peace works podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy God honoring relationships. And welcome back to the peace works podcast. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, power and authority. But before we jump into that topic, I want to remind you of PeaceWorks University. You know, week after week, I call your attention to PeaceWorks University, and I believe this, guys, if you're benefiting from the things you're hearing here on the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your best next step. It's a great place to connect with community of like-minded people helpers attempting to apply gospel-centered solutions to the problem of domestic abuse, along with uh, resources and Information and homework assignments, and a vault of um, past deliverables that I think could really be helpful to you. So, uh, if you enjoy the Peaceworks podcast, then realize there's a resource out there where everything is organized for you, and that's Peaceworks University. So, uh, please consider looking into Peaceworks University, and you can learn more about Peaceworks U at chrismoles.org. All right. So today's questions about power. This is an interesting uh, conversation that I know a lot of folks have been having lately. So I'm going to jump right into the question and and see where the Lord takes us. If power is a primary component of abuse, then how does one confront abusers without undermining their authority? So a couple things going on here. Let's start with, uh, if power. So, um, Th- that is a fairly consistent discussion, right? Is Chris, you and so many others. And I actually would, I, I actually would um, use this as a concept of proof or affirmation that when you talk, when you talk to the folks in our movement and in our world, um, and let's just take biblical counseling and conservative Christianity. If you were to take the, 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 couple dozen of us in that conservative Christian world that are writing and speaking and traveling and talking about this topic on a regular basis, and you were to uh, get us to go around the room and offer brief definitions of the topic, the vast majority, if not all of us, would have some aspect of power or authority in our definition. And so right off the bat, the questioner says, if power is a primary component of abuse— and I think it's a good start to the question because that is a presupposition that so many of us are operating under. And it's one that is difficult. It's a difficult conversation because I think there there are few. I don't think it's nearly as many as are um, touted or promoted. I think there are a few advocates, a few um, activists, a few quote-unquote experts, who would see power in and of itself as the problem. Um, In fact, some of the early days of the work, that was the language that was used. I think within a decade, much of that language from much of the quote-unquote experts was jettisoned because it would be very difficult to say that power or authority in and of itself is the problem or that hierarchy in any form – is the problem in and of itself for most folks. And and this is one of the, I won't go too far down this rabbit hole, but I will say that's one of the ironic parts of the discussion for me when individuals challenge that aspect of the work. And I bring up the point that, you know, around the country, the the most agencies, the largest portion of agencies that engage in perpetrator accountability are governmental systems law enforcement, the courts, um, uh, community-based or uh, behavioral uh, health centers that are sponsored by local community corrections or cash match or uh, county commissions. And so the vast majority of agencies addressing like perpetrator accountability are government agencies. And so it would be very difficult for them to promote kind of a um, power decentralization as it were, although we could benefit from some of that, I do think that, that that would be very, very difficult. So the questioner, I think, is wise in saying, you know, if power is a primary component, and for all of us in the work, we would say that it is. It is not the central component, uh, but it is a primary component. And what we mean by that is it is difficult or improbable, I'm not going to say impossible, but improbable for a, for somebody, an individual, again, this is not, we're not talking systemically at this point or culturally or institutionally, we're talking about individuals. For an individual with a diminished capacity to abuse a person with a superior capacity, such as a child abusing a parent or an elderly person abusing their caregiver, are there possibilities? Sure. But it's its an improbability because of how significant power and authority are to the process of abuse. In other words, it is a far greater temptation for an individual with an advantage to abuse that advantage, right, than it is for a person without that advantage to be tempted to try to gain that advantage and abuse it, if that, if that is comprehensible, what I just said there. So I do think that power is a big part of this. And so most of the time, the vast majority of time, when we're confronting abusive behavior, we're confronting an individual Who's using um, power. So it could be size, strength, could be position, could be authority, could be spiritual authority. Um, those, those types of um, abuses are most common from individuals who have that power to abuse. So I appreciate the questioner putting that in there, if it's a primary component of abuse, because that really sets up the second part of the question, which I think is maybe the most powerful uh, or the most prominent, um, if power is a primary component of abuse, then how does one confront abusers without undermining their authority? And I do think there's a lot of assumptions ass- assumptions in the question, right? And that assumption is that an abuse of power, um, when confronted, runs the risk of undermining the authority that was established by God with this individual. And I think that that thinking, that progression, is kind of part of our problem. I think it's one of the things we're wrestling with most uh, because, A, I think in a lot of our circles, we have a high theology of authority, and it gives us permission to put pastors in places that maybe the scriptures don't quite give them or... Um, government officials in places that we don't quite see that um, biblically speaking or husbands in positions that maybe doesn't completely line up in what the the New Testament is teaching. I taught about this not too long ago on an episode of the PeaceWorks podcast about constituted authority. And so I think there's this, this notion that constituted authority, and and I may get the passages wrong. I think Romans 13 obviously is the the – the most cited governmental one. I think Hebrews 13 maybe is the most cited ecclesiological one. And then, of course, in the family, we use passages like Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Peter 3, Colossians 3 um, to develop that same framework. And again, don't hear me say I'm not saying that I'm opposed to constituted authority. I actually believe those are biblical principles. Those are biblical realities. However, Holding an authority figure accountable when they use that authority to harm others, I think is also a biblical principle. I think that's also a reasonable response. And this may be true as well. Here's the, the complexity of it, friends. In the question itself, how do we do this without undermining their authority? An abuse of power is in and of itself, undermining an authority. Authority, position, power, comes with expectations. In fact, I think we talk about this quite a bit in some of the presentations that we do around the country. Is that the the hierarchy, biblically speaking, is is not really doesn't seem to be this hierarchy of position as much as it is a hierarchy of responsibility. So there appears to be within God's economy, within the kingdom structure, that the more to whom much is given, much is required. That an individual who has aspects of position, authority, wealth, power, whatever that is, there is more required of him from the standpoint of responsibility. That's why so often you know, we hear uh, in our circles, in biblical counseling circles, You know, when you're dealing with a marriage conflict, so many folks will say, start with the most responsible party. That's like a pretty solid complementarian response. It's like, start with the husband. Like, let's start with addressing his heart, his sin, his responses. Let's really start with setting the tone with him. I think that is much more accurate, that we're going to hold the most responsible people accountable first than to say, we give them a pass or, you know, the problem is you're not submitting enough to authority. You're not responding enough to authority. That authority is unquestioned. There doesn't seem to be biblical precedent for that, to say that we have no recourse to respond to abuse of authority. And, you know, to, to again go back to the, the, the question here, which I really appreciate this. If power is a primary component of abuse... How do you do it without undermining their authority? Well, the abuse of power undermines the authority. That's how authority should work, right? We we talked about this recently again on a, on a recent episode of the Peaceworks podcast uh, regarding what was it, First Timothy five, that you know a pastor is worth double honor, uh, but if a pastor is caught sinning, if they if they're trapped in these sins, then there should be a formal process um, to address that sin because a pastor is not above the parishioners. In fact, the pastor is more accountable, more responsible in much the same way. You know, yes, the the government is an agent of God's wrath, but we have said throughout the history of of the Christian church that when the government imposes um, expectations, rules on the population, on the church, that defies or undermines or runs antithetical to their faith, then they are to defy, not violently, but they are to resist spiritually, biblically, correctly. Um, And that's why so many of the early Christians were martyred. They resisted um, much of what the government at the time was saying they had to do in regards to lordship and worship and, and idolatry and they chose instead to follow Jesus as Lord. And if those principles are true of constituted authority outside the home, then they should be true of constituted authority inside the home, as there are expectations on parents, there are expectations on husbands, there are expectations on mothers and fathers, there are expectations on employers and employees. And those expectations, while... There are imperatives, there are greater principles producing those imperatives that guide us in, uh, in how we relate to authority, power, position. And so I, I love this question. I, I really appreciate the heart here because I think there are a lot of folks in our world, in our tribe, in our um, those who are listening, as far as you know the the peaceworks podcast who are really struggling with confronting a bully pastor because they don't want to undermine his authority who are struggling with confronting an abusive husband or planning to confront an abusive husband because they don't want to undermine his authority uh, they're struggling with how to intersect or how to interact or how to confront a ministry leader at a parachurch organization who is um, allegedly sexually assaulting members of his organization without undermining his authority. And, and my recommendation to you is to really consider, is this person operating in authority or are they operating outside of that authority by abusing it? Are they functioning the way God designed and called them to function or is it this? This or are these abuses, these patterns of behavior, actually contradictory to what they're called to do? And if that's the case, are we undermining their, their authority, or are we calling them to account to a higher authority, which is the standard of Scripture um, and the um, and the God with whom, whom they claim to serve? So I, I don't know. I I would say yes. I believe power is a key component to abuse. Um, is it impossible to abuse somebody without advantage? No, I think it's improbable. I think power is such a key component that it needs to be discussed. And I think when authority is confronted, position is confronted or an individual in authority is confronted, it doesn't mean we're undermining their authority. We're holding high the standard of that position, whether it be, um, a ministry leader, a pastor, um, a congregant or a husband. I think that is um, not only acceptable, I think it's preferable to do that in the life of the local church. So, <clears throat> yeah. Oh, I, I guess one other aspect, I know I've been all over the place a little bit today. Uh, how does one do that? I think, I think you do that scripturally as much as possible. You, you, you you follow those prescriptions right along with the spirit of the of the law. What is it that that we're attempting to accomplish for the kingdom of God? And it will differ based upon who that individual is. And so again, there's there's not a strict formula for each one. You can go back and listen to some past episodes where we talked about uh, confrontational ministry when it comes to an elder in the church versus con- confrontational ministry that occurs within the life of the local church, confrontational ministry according to um, Matthew 18, which is more conflict-based, and confrontational ministry according to Galatians 6, which is about spiritual maturity and consequences. So there are plenty of places that we can go to help form those those frameworks, um, but it does kind of differ depending upon the person and the aspect of authority that we're attempting to uh, To confront, so great question. I appreciate that so much, Um, and hopefully that was that was helpful as we think about this aspect of confronting an abuse of power while not undermining authority. And again, the the conclusion I would operate under: if an individual is abusing their power in their position, then they are undermining authority. We are calling them to account, which is a very different act. And I think the accusation of undermining authority actually helps um, helps the abusive person if, if we're not careful um, about acknowledging exactly what we're doing and, and why it is that we're doing it. All right, friends. Um, yeah, that was interesting. I appreciate the question. I appreciate you guys tuning in, being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. It is our joy to bring you content Every week, we're thankful for the questions that come in. Continue to submit those. Uh, Continue to be part of the PeaceWorks podcast by listening. But also, if you're listening on one of the major platforms, could you let them know? Rate, review, subscribe, follow. Whatever it is the platform asks you to do, would you do that? Just to let them know how much you appreciate uh, the PeaceWorks podcast. We're so thankful for you guys and so thankful for your partnership. Until next time, God bless.